Good afternoon and welcome back to Midday Magazine. My name is Shelby Herbert and I'm reporting for KFSK. Last week, Alaska students, teachers, and sexual assault survivors spoke against a bill Governor Mike Dunleavy says would support parents' rights and increase transparency in schools. Katie Anastas has more in Juneau. Nelson Merrill is a parent and commercial fisherman who lives in Juneau. He wore a shirt that read, Protect LGBT plus youth in rainbow letters to testify Thursday night. The trans community is in perpetual fear of policies and hateful ideology like what this bill represents every day. During nearly five hours of public testimony, more than 100 people spoke against the bill, saying it would put LGBTQ plus students at risk. The bill would require parent permission before students could participate in sex education classes, use different names or pronouns at school, and attend clubs related to gender and sexuality. Critics of the bill say it could force students to come out to their parents, who may or may not be supportive. And they say that could make mental health outcomes for an already vulnerable group of kids even worse. Megan Hinton teaches special education at Thunder Mountain High School in Juneau. I have students that are transgender, and let me tell you, at the school, it is not an issue. You are making it an issue. The governor is making it an issue. Anchorage resident Aaron Willihan said the bill prioritizes the views of one group of parents over the rights of all students to access sex ed. Particularly in the age of the Internet, kids are going to learn about the world regardless of legislative attempts to ban books, censor conversations, remove access to sex ed, and demonize LGBTQ plus classmates and parents. Allow children the safety of exploring themselves and the world with the guidance that a teacher, curriculum, and supportive environment can offer. The bill would also require school districts to tell parents that they can sue the district if it violates the bill's requirements. Junior resident Pat Race said that would hurt districts that are already struggling financially. We're looking at a time when school districts are strapped for cash and we're trying to pile up a bunch of uh, lawsuits against them. I don't think that's going to be helpful. April Smith, a member of the Fairbanks North Star Borough School Board, supports the bill. She said a statewide policy would help school boards focus on other district needs. I'm always advocating for local control. But some of these issues have been just binding up the local boards so much that we can't get to our normal work that we need to do. Other supporters of the bill said respecting transgender students' names and pronouns goes against their Christian values. They said parents should know what's being taught in school. Alaska parents can already opt their children out of sex education classes. In many districts, they can even look at the curriculum plans online. Critics of the bill also pointed to Alaska's high rates of sexually transmitted diseases as a reason sex ed should be more accessible, not less. Some opponents who spoke Thursday worried about the bill's effects on sexual abuse awareness and prevention efforts. That curriculum is required by law, and it can start as early as kindergarten. Navy's bill would ban sex education before fourth grade. At a committee meeting Wednesday, Soldatna Republican Representative Justin Ruffridge asked how those laws could coexist. How is someone supposed to be able to teach a child about what's inappropriate um, without being in violation of, of some of the things that are in, in this chapter? Department of Education Acting Commissioner Heidi Teschner said if the bill passes, parents would have the option to opt out of that curriculum rather than to opt in. The bill remains in the House Education Committee. 
Senate version of the bill has been referred to the Judiciary Committee. In Juneau, I'm Katie Anastas. A Petersburg doctor plans to work on a fellowship for a year and a half while sailing around the world with her family. Dr. Jennifer Heyer has worked as a family physician at Petersburg Medical Center for 13 years. She and her family of four are leaving Petersburg in November to sail across the Pacific Ocean. For at least 18 months, the Heyer family will live on their sailboat, the SV Tarika, where they plan to do a lot of fishing and studying. Dr. Heyer is working on an integrative medicine fellowship from the University of Arizona and looks forward to bringing those skills home to Petersburg when she returns. Dr. Heyer, her husband Chris, and their two children, Cora and Kaldor, spoke about their upcoming adventure. Uh, we're going to be leaving in November and heading down to Mexico on a sailboat, a catamaran. And we are going to spend some time in Mexico and then head across the South Pacific to New Zealand. And then who knows? That is amazing. And so you guys are hopping on the, and I apologize if I say this incorrectly, the SV Terica? Terica. Terica. Thank you so much. Chris, what is the history behind that unique name? Why the Terica? <laughs> we sort of came up with it one night as sort of tipping our hat to our folks, actually. So it's kind of made up of my parents' names and Jen's parents' names, Terry, Aaron, Kathy, and Henry. So we put them all together and came up with Terica as sort of a thanks for a great life, thanks for setting us off, and here we go. That is really meaningful and, and very unique. I'm sure you guys are going to be the only Tarika out there. I mean, get back to me if you're not. That's pretty cool. But does anybody get seasick? All of us would call her. I salty I one. never get seasick. Yeah, he's the guy reading below in the bow. We'll be getting thrashed. We're all sick, and he's down below reading. No kidding. We've been sailing as a family since they were babies, and, and he's always had the strong stomach. Cora and I, not so much. Oh, but at least you're sailing with a doctor on board. When your doctor's sick, what do you do? <laughs> and that kind of brings me to my next question. So when you guys are crossing the Pacific from Mexico to New Zealand, like how do you plan to occupy your minds when you are the farthest from civilization you could physically be? I'm going to do a lot of fishing, so I've been reading a lot about which lures to use for what kinds of species are out there. And yeah, and I'm, I'm looking forward to cooking up whatever he catches. We all like fishing, but I think he's the most passionate about it. So you'll be out from November to when? It's going to be 18 months okay. minimum that it's going to take us to go down to Mexico, and then we're going to get across the South Pacific. We're going to spend about three months in French Polynesia, and there's some island hop being there in Tahiti Society and Cook Islands. And then we're going to go to Tonga. And then from Tonga, we're going to go on down to New Zealand. And then once we're in New Zealand, then that's when we're going to decide, okay, what are the next steps? Are we liking this as a family? Do we want to keep doing this or not? So that's really important to us to make sure that, that we're all on board, that we're all still enjoying it. And then we'll decide, okay, which way are we heading home? Are we going up Japan and the Aleutian Islands and heading home? Or are we going Australia and around South Africa and coming home that way? We don't know. So you guys are going to have a cross-cultural experience on top of everything else you're doing. Are there any destinations you're most excited about? Probably for the French Polynesia area the most. I've heard of a lot of good fish, snorkeling, and good beaches. I don't know. What about you, Cora? Um... 
Anywhere sunny. <laughs> Anywhere <laughs> sunny? Yeah. What about school? How is that going to work out? Are you guys homeschooling or remote learning? We are boat schooling. So Calder will be in eighth grade and Cora will be in sixth grade. And we use a program called Oak Meadow out of Vermont. So we'll be covering all the, the math and language arts that they need to know for their grade level. But then we will be supplementing a lot of the history and social studies and science. will just be based on where we are learning the geology, geography, history of each location, and then having those cultural experiences and learning languages along the way. How do you all prepare for a trip like this? It's more than I anticipated. I mean, I, I, I knew it would be a lot of work, but it's a lot of work. I'm really focused on getting everything ready to school for a year and having everything that we need on board to do that, knowing that we won't just be able to go to the store and pick up what we need. And then also I'm really interested in how you feed a family when you have crossings that could be 30 days long. I've been digging in all the paperwork because you have to have everything set out for all the different countries you're going to and know all their requirements. And so setting that up for 15 countries all at once. I've got to say, that is the answer I least expected. What's like the hardest part of preparing to sail around the world? It's the, it's the paperwork. <laughs> so, Jen, I also heard that you received a pretty impressive fellowship. Is that something you're going to start at the end of this trip? I'm actually in the middle of it right now. So, it's an integrative medicine fellowship out of the University of Arizona. And uh, it's a two year fellowship. And I'm a little over halfway through it, and it's combining conventional and complementary medicine and using kind of the least invasive, most natural methods first, and I'll finish that while we're out there. So when I come back, I'll have this new skill that I'll be able to offer the town that I'm really excited about. So you're handing over the reins. How many physicians will be left in town? And so when I leave, there's going to be three physicians, and then we have uh, two excellent mid-levels that are there as well, a nurse practitioner and a physician assistant. But they are actually posting right now for a physician job, so we will be fully staffed. It's a really good crew right now. Like I feel like I'm leaving my patients in very, very good hands. It's It's been hard to say see you later to some of your patients. It's definitely mixed emotions about leaving. Tell me about this blog. I looked through it a little bit this morning. I'm very impressed with what I, I saw. I think Cora and I are going to, we, we're, I think we're going to get a drone and a GoPro. So um, <laughs> it's on the wish list. Part of it's going to be part of school. So part of their language arts is going to be writing about the places that we go and the experiences and all of that. But anybody can go on there. It's an open blog and you can subscribe on there and then you can kind of follow us along. Um, but we're not doing the YouTube thing. We're not no, we're not doing the YouTube, YouTube no thing. We're no. not doing that. <laughs> we're not, we, not going to have any sponsors or any no. <laughs> advertising. <laughs> it's just a blog. I think I'm just, I'm feeling really thankful to have this opportunity. And though it's it's hard to leave, I also feel supported by PMC and the community in doing this. And so I feel really, I just feel really thankful. And thank you all so much for being here with me today. I'm so excited for you guys. To follow the Higher family along on their journey across the sea, you can visit their blog at svtarika.blog. The state of Alaska recently received $38 million from the Department of Housing and Urban Development. In Kenai, Brian Venua reports the money is aimed to ease the burden of climate change. 
Margaret Salazar is HUD's Northwest Regional Administrator. She oversees HUD's programs around Alaska, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Last week, she attended Arctic Encounter, the largest annual Arctic policy event in the country, where she made the announcement. Salazar says the new funding is to help villages get ahead of natural disasters. We're helping folks work upstream with things like technical assistance to start planning ahead for housing development, as opposed to just funding the sticks and bricks part of housing supplies. The money was made available through the Community Development Block Grant Disaster Recovery Program, or CDBGDR, funds. These funds are aimed at helping communities better rebound from presidentially declared disasters, but Salazar says the state will be allowed to allocate the new funds for preventative measures. Now, when the state of Alaska, who's our grantee, when they get those dollars, they can use some of them for that planning work. So this is brand new policy that we've rolled out. Salazar says she hopes funding plans before they become disasters can help ease the burden of climate change. Village relocation and rising water levels and soil erosion are forcing folks to make some impossible choices about relocating their homes. And one of the exciting opportunities we have right now is the opportunity for HUD to align and join forces with our other federal agency partners. Some of the departments she listed included the Environmental Protection Agency, the Department of Energy, and the Department of Transportation. But climate change isn't the only issue Alaskans face when it comes to housing. Unlike communities on the road system, folks in Bush, Alaska can't commute for work, so housing can be a limiting factor for growth. Salazar says her trip to Kodiak last week gave her a new perspective on the issues Alaskans face when compared to their rural counterparts in the lower 48. What we see, and we heard today in Kodiak, was just the lack of, of being able to expand economic opportunities because of a lack of housing. So if we can't find ways to house our folks, we can't find ways to expand job opportunities, and it becomes a cycle. But developing new housing is especially difficult for communities that aren't directly connected to Anchorage. Rural communities often face high costs for shipping, difficulty accessing building supplies, and even finding workers to do the construction. To reduce some of the barriers local governments face, Salazar says HUD also approved new grants to help them work out regulations that prevent housing development. So whether it's things like zoning or building codes or permitting process, you know, we can come to the table uh, and be a partner in terms of federal dollars, but we want to make sure that the local folks are doing their work to have a plan ready, to have um, shovel-ready dirt so that when we can uh, fund uh, housing development, we can get that done quickly. And while she praised local entities like the Kodiak Island and Cook Inlet Housing Authorities, Salazar says there's still more work to do and looks forward to continuing partnerships with entities around the state. In Kodiak, I'm Brian Venois. KFSK is celebrating National Poetry Month by sharing poetry readings each weekday. Today's poetry reading features Joy Jansen's poem, uh, Joy Jensen is a former head nurse at PMC. The clinic is named after her. And this poem is from our archive. Hi, I'm Joy Jensen. I'm going to read a poem from a missionary magazine says I had since 1946. And the name of the poem is Old Gentleman Gay from Thoughts of God for Boys and Girls. Said Old Gentleman Gay on a Thanksgiving day, if you want to be happy, then give something away. So he sent a fat turkey to Shoemaker Price, and the shoemaker said, what a big bird, how nice. 
And since a good dinner before me I ought to give widow Lee the small chicken I bought. This fine chicken, O C, said the pleased widow Lee, and the kindness has sent it, how precious to me. I'd like to make somebody happy as I. I'll give washwoman Biddy my big pumpkin pie. And oh, sure, Biddy said, it's the queen of all pies, just to look at its yellow face gladdens my eyes. Now it's my turn, I think, and a sweet ginger cake for the motherless Finnegan children I'll make. Said the Finnegan children, Rose, Danny, and Hugh, it smells sweet as spice and will carry a slice to little lame Jake, who is nothing that's nice. Oh, I thank you and thank you, said little lame Jake. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful cake. And oh, such a big slice, I will save all the crumbs and give some to each little sparrow that comes. And the sparrows, they twittered as if they would say, like old gentleman gay on a Thanksgiving day, if you want to be happy, just give something away. Thank you, Joy. These poetry readings are a production of KFSK presented throughout the month of April. The readings are aired at approximately 8.08 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. You can listen to many poetry readings on our website, kfsk.org.